Welcome back to another episode of Trades Talk. Maggie Wymore here with my co-host Justin White. And today's episode, we bring on Lee Buffington, CEO of Thrive Outdoor, a company that's been in business for about 30 years and grown organically. Lee talks to us about everything from mindset to why he rebranded the company right, right in the midst of COVID and how he looks at people differently. All these great topics we, we discussed today. Justin, give me your thoughts. Thanks, Maggie. I'm excited to be back. Another week, another episode. And this one is going to bring a lot of knowledge to business owners, entrepreneurs, employees, anyone looking to take their life to the next level. Because Lee doesn't just talk about landscaping. In fact, we probably talk very little about landscaping in this episode compared to others. He is more just about hard work, grit, determination, grinding through, nurturing your employees, and really is his most recent focus where he shifted focus from marketing to clients and customers and really marketing and taking care of their employees first. Seems like it's paying off for him. And, and he goes into some good detail around why and how he did that. He also talks about branches and opening up different branches of the organization. So if your company is right in that sweet spot, maybe three, five, six million and looking to open up your second branch. Lee is a great resource for this. He operates out of four branches and is currently operating his fifth and in some pretty difficult markets. I know Chattanooga and Knoxville and some of these areas he's operating out of definitely not the easiest places to penetrate. And he's figuring out a way to do it through, like Justin said, pure grit, determination, motivation. I mean, the guy's a rancher. He's been in business since he was 19 years old and yeah, great, great lead by example. Yeah, and he talks about his story where he started off in his senior year of high school mowing lawns. Him and a buddy both bought a mower, went in business together. His second year, he did 200000 in revenue, which is an amazing accomplishment. But what's cool is he talks us through this story of going from 200000 in revenue to where they are today in the eight-figure range. And it's just exciting to hear the lessons he's learned along the way. If I was anyone listening, I just keep a notepad handy and make sure to think about where you're going in the future and, and how some of these lessons uh, can be applied to help get you there quicker. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in without further ado. All right, folks, excited to dive into this episode with Lee Buffington from Thrive Outdoor. Lee, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for the invite, Justin. Oh, we're excited to dive in. You got a lot of information, a lot of experience. We've gotten to know each other quite well over the years in the peer group. But why don't we just start by giving folks a little bit of a idea of where you are in the country, what your background is, and a little bit about your business. Sure, you bet. Yeah, it's uh, so we're in the southeast. We're, our home base is in Alabama, located in Fort Payne, uh, kind of a small city, 15,000 people or so. So it's, uh, but it's, it's hometown for me and a place I love and uh, hold dear, probably will never leave the area. But uh, so that's the, uh, the base. And we like to think of a hub and spoke, you know, in terms of our branch operations, we, uh, we go out from there uh, and cover into Chattanooga, Tennessee, Northwest Georgia, a little bit beyond Chattanooga, going north up the corridor, 75 corridor toward Knoxville. And then we go down into Birmingham and essentially work Birmingham north uh, across the state to Huntsville and Decatur. So that's that's our geographical territory that we we operate in. We have um, four 
four locations at the moment. We've got another one in Birmingham. We're about to open over the winter. So we've, we're, we're keying up staff now and we've hired on uh, several people for that, that market. So we'll have brick and mortar there uh, by springtime and ready to go for 24. And that'll be our fifth, uh, fifth location uh, we'll be operating from. So that's really been our model is build out the branch um, mechanism. So we run all of our administrative teams out of our home office and then everything pushes out to those branches uh, geographically. So we're generally speaking, we're within an hour and a half of any, any location from our own. Wow. That's awesome. And how did you get started in the industry? So I know you've been in business for quite some time. Give a little background on how you got involved in the industry. Yeah. So it started as a, it was a summertime job hobby, if you will, uh, for me and a buddy of mine, uh, our senior year of high school, um, I wanted to go into uh, medical field, wanted to be a surgeon for whatever reason. I don't know, but that's just what I, I thought they made a lot of money. So I was, I was <laughs> curious about that side of things and stability. So that's what I wanted to be. And uh, education was important to me. Uh, I was uh, pretty high on always making good grades and, and, and that sort of thing. I didn't have an issue with going to college or any of that, but senior year of school, we started this thing and it was, it was really just a way to make money through the summer. It was a way that I knew I could make uh, more money doing that than what I had been doing the previous years, which I'd, you know, worked since I was about nine years old, I had a job. So it was, you know, for me, the work wasn't a problem, but I looked at it from the money perspective. Can I, you know, can I earn more than I did the previous year? And, and we did. And so, we jumped into it uh, at the end of the year. The first year we decided, you know, that uh, how I want to let's invest. Let's basically we both came to the table with one mower. I said, let's buy another mower and and next year will be twice as big. And my buddy didn't really want to do that. So it was, it, he wanted to split up. So we ended up just splitting up at that point. I bought another machine the next year, uh, ended up hiring two or three people. And by the end of the next year, the second year, um, I knew at that point I wanted to make a career out of it, or I felt like I did. Uh, so I switched gears and, and started shifting toward the focus in, in horticulture, uh, not having formal education in it. It was, it was pounding the books. So it was, you know, we're going to the bookstores because that time you've got no internet. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the information you gain is from books. It's, it's either that or it's tradesmen or experienced people that are ahead of you. So I was doing all of the above uh, to learn everything I could about the horticulture side, as well as the stumbling blocks you run into in business, um, you know, as you as you grow and, and, and try to scale the business. So that's really where we where the journey began is is from that viewpoint. And of course, I you know, at that time you get uh, I mean, you're looking at going from medical school, being a surgeon to I'm going to cut grass for a living and. A lot of people came to me and said, hey, I don't are you sure you can make a living at that? Are you sure that's the right path to take? And, you know, I just knew that I, there was just something about it that I, I knew we could scale it. And I didn't know anything about scale at the time, but I, I knew that there was a chance we could uh, we could do more than I could do with just my two hands. So that's that's the reason why we stayed with it. And it's it's been a fun journey ever since. But. Wow. That, that had to be quite the decision, I imagine. And like you said, you probably got a lot of pushback from family and friends when you're going from surgeon, medical, very stable career, obviously, to not just landscaping, but a, a true entrepreneur running your own business. At that point, we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have the internet. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have a way to do this research. So how was it that you came to that decision? As you look back now, was there a certain point or a 
a epiphany or something that you had at a certain time where you said, look, I'm going all in on this landscape deal. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think part of it is is uh, financially driven. At the end of year two, we were doing 200000 in revenue uh, that first year. And as a as a 19-year-old, I mean, I was better off than any of my buddies. Um, financially, we had, uh, you know, we had everything was pretty much cash. And uh, we didn't have, you know, the debt was essentially we had a lawnmower that we took debt out on. And that was it the first year. So, you know, we were making money uh, for a 19 year old, making a lot of money. And so I just, you know, I looked at it as, you know, if I can do this now, what can I do with some time and experience and, and growth? What what could be possible? And I really didn't understand uh, the true enormity of the industry until many years later. But I, I, I knew at that time I could certainly make a make a great living um, and provide for my family and you know provide stability that we needed over that time. I knew that could happen just based on sheer hard work and and possibilities that are out there in the industry. Uh, and then much later I learned you know that that the the business is is much bigger than 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 what I ever dreamed uh, early on. But I think that year too was you know the end of that year when I'm looking at that and I'm you know it's like, you know, this does make sense. It, um, you know, I don't even know what a surgeon would have made at the time, but I'm going to say half a million bucks a year, maybe, uh, to possibly yeah. a million a year. Uh, I knew that we had with some time we could get there. And, you know, you're looking at that side of things. It's like, well, I've got to park my life for eight years to go to school. And then I start in a high earning environment, but you know, I've got eight years now to build to that point. Can I achieve uh, similar success in that eight year window? And, you know, felt like we could and, and we did. It turned out great. And of course, you, you go through the stumbling blocks, you know, as we all know, with business, as you hit those milestones and, and uh, uh, metrics along the way, it's like, oh, you're doing well, then you're, oh, you're in the dumps and then you're, you know, back on the peak again and then and in the dumps. So it's a cyclical thing as you as you migrate through it. Especially as a, as a 19 year old, you know, being so young to have that vision and that understanding of things. Um, I know just, Justin himself, you know, had entrepreneurial dreams at 19, didn't quite yeah. pan out. We'll hear about more of those in his episode. But one of the things that you said, you know, when we were just talking before we started recording was you, if you would have had the information now that you had when you started, you would have been able to get going a lot quicker. What exactly are some examples of like, what have you learned in your journey now that you would tell yourself when you were 19? I would say the, uh, the the first thing is look at people much differently than you do when you first start in business. So as a young entrepreneur, you look at things like uh, customers are very important, as they are always with any business. Um, but in the landscape business in particular, you look at equipment. You know, that's what everybody, you know, you, you don't you don't go buy a lawnmower and think you're going to get a return tomorrow on it. You buy a lawnmower to get a return over time. And the same thing with a skid steer or any other piece of equipment, truck, whatever the case may be. And I never really looked at people that way in my early days and career. Um, I looked at people of more of, well, we can't afford to hire the right person or the person that should be at the peak of that particular role that we're looking for. So we have to hire what we can afford now versus let's hire the best of the best and then let them live up to their expectation. And I think that's probably the single biggest thing that, uh, that that I've learned over that journey. And that came from Mike Rory. I mean, Mike is a mentor of mine, a great friend of mine. 
Uh, and Mike is just one of those guys that 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 brings things down to a simple operation, uh, so it's easily understood. Don't complicate it. And uh, I was talking to Mike one day about uh, you know about branch models and you know how do you how do you go into these other locations and get the things off the ground and and that's he he brought that fact up and said look you, you got to look at people as an investment. Uh, just like you would with equipment or anything else that you understand intimately with iron is put the person you need in there that's going to take the role and take the task. And then if if it's the right person and you give them the autonomy to grow and the tools they need, they're going to deliver. And we've that's proven over several times with us now. So that would be the single thing that I would say if I were starting over. Uh, that I would I would invest more into people on the front end and then get out of their way and you know let them let them run. Yeah, we I can't agree with that anymore. I mean, I have seen that personally where we've hired people who you can afford, but probably not the right person for the seat. And you think of it, all right, we'll get someone new in two years, or maybe we'll get someone higher up in two years and train that person up or whatever the mindset you have to adopt to make it work. But when I've hired the right people who maybe are a little bit better than what I need or who have done it before. And a lot of times they're smarter than me. You know, I'm hiring the the VP of maintenance because they know more about maintenance than I do, or I'm hiring the controller and the VP of finance because she knows more than I do in finance. And once as an entrepreneur, you get over the, the hiccup that you have to be the smartest guy in the room or smartest girl in the room. And you can surround yourself with people who know more. And, and then the big thing I've learned is you got to get out of their way. Mm-hmm. I think that's one piece of advice that I would give anyone to add on to that is hire the great people, but step out of the way or let go of that duty. Cause most likely you're bringing them in to do something you were previously doing. Mm-hmm. So Lee, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about that? I'm sure with the branch model, you're, you've had to let go of certain day-to-day controls that, that made you uncomfortable at first, but hopefully long-term paid off. What's your take on letting go of control after you hire some someone great? Yeah, you know, for me, it's kind of funny that that's really never been a problem for me. Um, um, I like to I like to know what's going on, but I love to see people flourish, and uh, so it's really never a problem. It's almost even to the point that uh, it's a negative for my side because I don't put enough follow up or follow through with the individual to ensure, are we tracking down the right road? Because I'm just, I'm one of those that I trust you when you walk in the door. Uh, so it's, you have my trust. It's, it's yours to lose. Uh, you don't have to earn it. It's, it's given and granted immediately. And, uh, and I think that trust a lot of times uh, translates into, um, into, into creating some issues where I don't follow up like I should uh, with my people, but you know, as far as that side, I, I just, it really doesn't bother me at all to hand the keys to someone. And I'm pretty plain with that. I, I tell people, look, I'm not going to get in your way. I'm here. All you've got to do is is call. I, I don't screen the call. It's, you know, coming through, I'm going to answer you. And, uh, you know, I'll be a partner any way I can, but I want to be out of your way and let you run with the thing. Uh, now we've, we've learned that, you know, numbers are important. We watch, uh, we watch financials, we watch various metrics within each branch because we can see some indicators there that, that'll lead us into problems or lead us into, you know, great things. It's like, okay, we're, we're seeing, you know, this market versus this market, both doing the same stuff, but one metric is much different than the other. You know, what, what's going great in the good metrics and what's going wrong in the in the bad metrics, and so we try to be sure we share that information across the board. And 
you know, it brings me back to um, when when I first went in business, I, the, the little hometown that we're in was known as the sock capital of the world. At one point, it was uh, there were, I don't know, 80 or 90 percent of all the socks in the entire world were made right here in little bitty small town of Fort Payne, Alabama. So what 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 I learned from that is I got to deal with a lot of business owners that were within that network. Um, and so I got to gain a lot of knowledge from a manufacturing perspective with those guys and, and both good and bad. So some things that, that, you know, could they have done better? Sure. Was it a lot of things that were doing right? Yes. Uh, and then I learned there was some things that were even more challenging than what, uh, than they, than, than in the landscape industry, than what they dealt with. Uh, I actually hired a few of those managers that came out of that industry to our industry, you know, to our business early on. And they're like, hey, we, we've ran, you know, 50, $100 million companies and they're easier to run than, you know, a $5 million landscape company because of all the outside influences that come come our way that they're in a controlled environment. It's a lot easier to, to, to manage. So learn some of that. But but more so um, when it came to information share. Uh, the way that the, the the way that Fort Payne and the Pruitt Mill organization excelled and got them to the top of that ladder is because they shared information. They had 60 plants within this area. And when they learned a technique that worked, they didn't isolate that technique to that one plant. They shared it across all 60 of those plants. So they could then have the wording of rising tide raises all ships. That's what happened. So it's like we take one great idea and we spread it across 60 and it goes like wildfire and everybody elevates and raises. Whereas when you looked at that industry across the country and other parts that were successful, but not as successful as Fort Payne is because they didn't share that information. They kept it siloed to their plant and not share with other other people. But because we had, you know, small town and everybody fed off that one organization, you know, that was in that in that network, they were sharing the information. So that's that's been a huge part, and I've seen that as as the as I've grown in the industry, the landscape industry is the same way. I mean, we we get mentors out there that share. I mean, they'll tell you everything in the deal, everything you've got to do to be successful. They'll tell you because the hardest part is execution. You can have the plan, but if you're not going to go out every day and execute and follow through with the plan, measure the results, alter your plan as you go along to get the results you want you're you're not going to get there and that's that's why you know it's so easily shared but uh tons of information out there across the industry for that it's so true that's part of the reason that justin and i wanted to start this podcast right is to share the information there is so much information out there and it's great to hear that you learned that so early on and in such a small scale in your hometown one of the things that you touched on though was running a $5 million landscape company is not for the faint of heart. How do you stay motivated? Like what, what has driven you to push through those barriers that, you know, we, we see those barriers all the time. $1 million. Awesome. I hit the $1 million. Now I'm an actual company. Okay. 5 million time to start to open up a new branch or look at centralizing purchasing. So what has pushed you further and kept your mind uh, mindset intact in throughout all of the, the growth you've seen? You know, it's funny. I just personally, I was thinking about this, reflecting uh, the last uh, few days. Actually, nothing to do with this podcast or the preparing for it. Not to say I didn't prepare, but <laughs> I didn't do my homework on that part. But it was, uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is 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 my life in general is uh, always about change, and it's like. 
because I was thinking about just the things that happen around our house, around our farm. I'm always looking for improvements. So it's like I always have a project going on with things that are we're making it better than it was. And it's like, is there ever going to be a point in life that the equilibrium hits in? And it's like, okay, everything's just status. We're going to keep it just like it is. We're just going to maintain it and we're going to enjoy life and just do these things. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I can ever do that because I'm just, I'm the type. I want to always be looking at ways to make it better. So in business, it's always been that way. I've all, it doesn't matter if, if this truck is, is good today, what's better tomorrow. If this process is good today, what's better tomorrow. And I think the main thing we look at is, is creating opportunity for our people. It's about, you know, where, the thing that we share often here is 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 we want to have an environment where if an individual is wanting to grow their career and wanting to to whether you call it moving up or whatever, it's just we want to advance the career through experiential learning, through educational, you know, formal educational learning, whatever it is. And they want to continue to move through. We want to create opportunities and have them ready for those people when they're ready. So we don't have someone that comes to us and says, I'd like to move into this role or move into another role that's that's and give more than I'm giving now. And I have to say to them, well, give me five years and I'll have you something that that five years is, you know, they're, they're already, they've already forgotten about it at that point. They're moved on because they wanted to move now. And so we want to have it where we can lay out, okay, here are three options that we think you could be good at any of these three. What interests you the most, which, 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 uh, part of this that you you feel like you would like the most because we could move you to any of the three in the next three months we can start migrating you toward those directions so that's really the 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 probably the number one thing that uh, that we look at and that's what keeps us you know keeps us churning and keeps us driving you know toward that next level is is creating those opportunities and uh, another Mike Rory uh you know uh, uh, saying that he has is 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 slow growth hurts and fast growth hurts. So why not just just grow fast? Because it's all painful. Any any way you do it, it's going to be painful. So we've just set out for a high growth mode, and we're going to continue that um, probably as long as as long as I'm still at the helm of this thing. I love it, Lee. I love how the vision and the growth mindset you have comes through at your company. I've I've visited your company. I've talked with your employees, and the in energy you have truly comes through your entire team and you see it in the yard when you guys are getting ready to take off in the morning. But what I, what I took away from all that is when you align the company's goals with the employee's personal goals and you help to create career tracks that fit into the company's growth, then you're always going to have the people you need when you need them. And if you can grow fast enough and grow your, you grow your company fast enough while growing your people fast enough, and you can somehow bring a equilibrium between those two, then it sounds like that's been a huge part of your ability to grow and, and grow strong and sustainably in new markets. As you branch out now going into five branches, it seems like you are learning things from different branches that you're sharing throughout, as you said, the manufacturing team would learn. So how are you guys benefiting from additional branches? And then maybe what are some of the challenges that have come up by having additional branches? Uh, I think the, the hardest part about uh, branching is uh, culture. And it's, 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 you know, not having them, the new branch or e- any branch for that matter, out on an island. 
you know, they, they have to feel included. They have to, uh, uh, you have to have a good conduit of information that goes in and out. And I think that's probably the single, uh, the single thing when it comes to a branch and you got to have a great leader you got to have, you know, leadership in the, in the, in the market, uh, that, uh, sees things the way we see them at our core. And they lead with those, you know, with, with that core, uh, every day with our people and customers. Um, and I think that's the hardest thing to do is just keep keeping that, that, that focus on, uh, the culture and, and, uh, not having them siloed out on their own, um, trying to create clarity around vision and what are we going after? Cause it's, when you put a new, uh, new market out there, it's kind of like an entrepreneur that walks out the door. They say yes to everything that's out there. You know, they're looking at, Hey, I, I need anything because revenue is oxygen. And that's, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and in the early days, maybe you have to do that, but, but you have to be cautious that if you're doing the right things, uh, planning the right way and playing the game the right way, uh, the things that you need are going to come. It just may take a little bit longer than what you need, but there's no reason to walk in and create create problems where you're you're creating. I call it distractions. I don't want distractions in in our market. If this is what we're going to do, let's stick to what we do, and and not become distracted on something that's going to point us off what our focus is uh, in the long run. Yeah, absolutely, and that's hard to do is to stay focused in this industry because there are so many opportunities, whether it's adding a tree service or it's adding pest control or it's doing janitorial or street sweeping, you know, Lee, for your, you guys, as you branch out into these new markets, what is your focus? What are you telling the troops to do when you say, Hey, let's go get more work. What is it? Install? Is it maintenance? You know, what is your guys's focus as you go into this next phase of growth? Yeah, so our, our primary focus is maintenance, um, maintenance and enhancement work. So any anything with a recurring model is ideally what we're looking for. We do um, very little construction work in the other markets. We still do some at our home uh, because we we've got a client base here that uh, you know that, that that tends to like that kind of work, and we're pretty good at it too. So we we do keep that going, um, but. At the moment, anything we go into new, it's it's maintenance driven. It's a recurring relationship or recurring revenue and relationship driven. Yeah. And those markets you guys are getting into are very competitive. I, I've talked yeah. to a few people at conferences and they mentioned the Chattanooga uh, yeah. market being one of the fastest growing markets in the country. As you have more and more pressure into these markets, how is your team and, and your sales developers separating thrive from the rest of the folks out there what what's your elevator pitch to go with you guys over the the competitor down the street you know i think it, it's unfortunate in in the industry but it happens in a lot of industries our our service becomes commoditized in a lot of ways because you know it's you can have uh one grass cutter can be really as good as the next grass cutter a pruner can be as good as the next pruner but the the factors that we focus on to differentiate is is communication it's expert um, uh, analysis, expert ability, having depth on the bench where we we have resources. If you need uh, next level services uh, from enhancements or design or architecture, engineering, drainage, those sorts of things, we can step in and play ball in that in that arena as well. And that's that's a factor that that sets us apart from a lot of the uh, a lot of the just typical maintenance companies. Um, Scale is one of those. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the players that are in the markets that we deal with, 
Um, they can't, you know, the small players can't deal with the bigger work. They can't deal with the portfolio work. Uh, they're just, they're not, they're not size large enough to be able to handle that. Uh, during the heat of battle, they might could take it on certain times of the year, but they're going to reach a, a tipping point that they can't handle. So we're able to kind of carve out those, uh, those folks, you know, from that arena, the big players that are regionally driven in our markets, they're in every market we're in. Uh, we go toe to toe with them. Uh, it really, every, almost every bid package uh, we're out there and we know the ones that, that have a sophisticated bid system because we know where their bids are going to come. Uh, and they know where ours are going to come and we're going to be pretty close. I mean, every time we're very competitive and then we've got a couple of competitors in each market that you never know. They could be 40% higher, 60% higher. They could be 70% lower. Uh, so we don't know their methods on, on how they, how they determine their bids, but, uh, but certainly you get to know those competitors and know, uh, you know, who we're going up against and, uh, we just, you know, we try to put our best foot forward on every job. We, we bid, bid the stuff the same way and, you know, we use the same methodologies and we do try to put some strategy in it. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, we've got a, I've got a personal saying that uh, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So we're, you know, it's a good Southern, Southern slang term, but it's, if, if you got a lot of fat on the bone, it's, you're going to get picked off. So you, you better just make a, make a healthy margin and control your expenses and uh, do what you say you're going to do and honor your deal and, you know, try to keep all the work you can. So important. And one of the things that I'm sure sets you apart in your market is branding. I mean, Justin is great with his branding of his company and I know you are too. And as of what, two years ago, you completely rebranded the company. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you guys made that decision? Yeah, so that was uh, that was uh, we we timed that out perfectly with COVID, which was a, a terrible disaster. And trying to re <laughs> you couldn't get you couldn't get anything first of all during that period, and then we're going to try to rebrand. You, you couldn't you needed a hat, you couldn't get one for eight months. You know, so it's like okay, <laughs> we picked a great time to roll this out, but but uh, nonetheless, it was you know really our, the 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 main focus with the rebranding and name change was. Uh, was a thriving environment for our employees, for our team members. That's what we were looking at was, you know, Thrive was uh, defined as to grow or develop vigorously, uh, fits our industry perfectly because it's it's kind of what we do. And then it's also the nurturing of our people. Um, our, uh, so it was really, it was about defining that side of things with us and creating an environment that would become magnetic for team members. So we really took our focus off of, uh, previously to that, we focused predominantly on marketing to customers, and we shifted our focus with the rebrand and name change to marketing to team members. Uh, so we really don't do any marketing to customers anymore, which is kind of crazy and counterproductive to a certain point. But uh, what we found is, is if you if you interview anyone in business, it doesn't matter the trade. You go to any trade. Go to you go to HVAC go to plumbers, go to landscape people. What's their number one challenge? It's people. It's, it's, I could grow my business if I had people. So everybody tells you they have more customers than they can, do, than they can deal with, but they don't have the people to do it. So we kind of took that mindset to let, let's focus on the people and let's focus on caring for them and bringing in and becoming attractive to, to those individuals so we can grow our team. And as a result, when we've got the team there, now we can we can perform better on what we have. 
we can add to those portfolios because of our performance, because we've we've shown and we we've developed trust and confidence with our customer base that, hey, we gave them X, they produced, we're going to give them X times three, they produce. Okay, let's give them X times six, they produce. So it's it, it goes from that perspective, because it's, it's rare you're ever going to have a customer that comes in and says, here's my whole portfolio. They're not going to do that. I mean, it's crazy for them to even, you know, for you to even think they would do that. Uh, we wouldn't do that. Um, and so it's really, that's what the Thrive, you know, came about was, was from that side. Uh, when you look at our core values, it's, uh, you know, we, we've got, and, and those are, they're intentional. They weren't really, uh, they weren't really, I think, planned this way in the beginning. It just kind of worked out this way. But, uh, you know, we, our first one is grit. And so it's, hey, there's a time to grind, you know, in every environment we want to be, we want to be this great place to work and we want to be this kumbaya and hey, let's celebrate together and let's do this and let's go to parties and let's have pizza and tacos and all this stuff. But there's a, there's a time that we got to grind and there's a time when grit is important in any business that now's the time to trench in, we'll celebrate later. But today is the trench day. Uh, and then we end with nurture. And so it was, it was, you know, it's the time to rebuild that person. Okay. We, we, we've hit the grind. We, we've bared down on the grit and now it's time to nurture that individual because they're, they're down in their personal life or they're, they're down with something that's going on or it's a physical problem or whatever it is, but it's a time to nurture and rebuild. Or sometimes it's just how you need a vacation. It's like, we've got people that we have to go into and say, what do you have planned for vacation? Because they're just grinding every day and we know that they need that time with their family. So, you know, that's the nurturing time that we can come in and say, schedule a trip. You know, the, the team will, they'll, they'll make it a week or two without you. Schedule your trip. We'll learn from it. You know, when you leave, we're going to learn, we're going to learn shortcomings. We're going to learn things we should do better. Um, and so it's, that's that's really what the the whole thing with Thrive, um, you know, Thrive came about was was from that that side of things. That that has so much correlation to what you talked about earlier when you talk about people and people being the heart of the company. It sounds like that rollout, although not great with COVID, ended up working out really well with the market we've been in, where things kind of boomed honestly over the last few years in the landscape industry. And it has been the same story of, of biggest challenges, people, not enough people, plenty of work, not enough people. So as we look back over the last almost three years, it sounds like since you rolled out Thrive, have you guys continued that growth? And, and do you feel like there was maybe a increased growth in the last few years when you started to focus more on marketing to people and internally focused rather than customer-faced marketing and, and customer-faced success? Yes, that's that's definitely the case. Uh, the growth has been, you know, trending in the right direction. Uh, we had a little bit during COVID, of course, you know, that uh, early uh, phases of that, uh, you kind of plateau and even go go downhill just a bit uh, with some trajectories trajectory that we had prior to COVID. Uh, but then, you know, once we got that stabilized, and we were able to pick up a lot of people, you know, through COVID, there's a lot of people that lost their jobs we had an opportunity to pick up some of those that, that are still with us today that, you know, changed career paths entirely, changed industries entirely. Uh, so we were able to pick up those people and carry on, but yeah, the growth is there for us. And, you know, we're looking going into 24, we're looking for, for positive growth again. Uh, and uh, got to continue, you know, that beyond and the, the, the beauty of when we look at our growth right now, we think, okay, this is, 
uh, pretty high growth if you're looking at, at our numbers in terms of what we're what we're going after. But when you break it down to a to a market level and you say, okay, we have five markets that are going to do this, it's really not that much growth per market. So it, it becomes down to we just have to get down to the granular level of what what do we have to do in this market today to win. And that's yeah. that's really how simple we try to make it is let's pull it down to what what has to happen in each one of those markets individually and then let those people run with it. Let them own it. Let them let them take it and and uh and and figure it out because they will. If you've got the right people in there, they're gonna they're gonna take off and run with it. But definitely for us, the growth is has has been on a high trajectory and we're looking at uh this year we we've I don't want to say we've stalled a bit, but we're we're at about uh 20% growth this year, 19 or 20 uh, is where we'll be. But uh and we're we're shooting, you know, we'd like to be at 30. But uh yep. we had a reorganization on some some of our sales team this year. So or last year. And so that's that's uh you know caught up with us some this year on some new sales that that we did not see coming through that we thought we would and we should have those back next year and you know be back on the 25 percent plus um, hey so. i mean i think most people listening is gonna they're happy with 20 percent. i know i know i'm happy with anything over 15 but lee as you i, I like to see 30 plus that's yeah just, that's when i'm really in my <laughs> fun zone i don't know it's like you gotta, i was thinking you know, the same thing i mean it, it's and that's that's part of the problem as i mentioned earlier that with with me and my mindset it's like if if we want to get to this goal Okay. And once we get there, it's like, yeah, let's celebrate. Okay. And then tomorrow, why aren't we talking about that? You know, let's move to the next goal. Yep. So are we still talking about that? You know, that we achieved that goal. Let's celebrate it. Let's move on. Let's get to the next level and let's keep moving the goal because uh, we really can never reach a point that says, okay, we, we, we've reached the pinnacle because we've seen it with the history of companies uh, over and over and over again that, that, uh, you know, they go to the peak and they take their eye off the ball, market shifts, business shifts, people shift, whatever, and they don't move with it and they go down the other side. And that that's that's a that's a point in which I don't I don't want to go down. I want to make sure we go into something we're going to win. Yeah, it's one thing to get to be the king of the mountain. It's another thing to stay king of the mountain. I call it the we've arrived syndrome. When you set a big goal and you get there as a team, it is fun to celebrate. But just like winning the Super Bowl, you know, a week later, those guys are in the weight room training. They, right. they don't spend maybe a week, maybe two, and then they're back at it. That's so right. in that mindset, you know, when we talk winning the Super Bowl, Tom Brady and those guys, they know what it is to win because they have the Super Bowl as the end of year target. As landscapers, I think we have a hard time knowing what the score of the game is. And I was just talking to my my team the other day. And we were not communicating the goals very well in terms of data and KPIs. <clears throat> and I told him, you know, it's not really fair because we're basically covering up the speedometer of your truck. And then when you get a speeding ticket, we're chewing you out. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you don't know how fast you're going, I can't get mad at you when you get a ticket. So we've, you and I both run on, on a similar, actually the same software, Aspire. And it gives me and our team a lot of data. Can you talk a little bit about how you use software to keep score of the game, to set those scores and to help your team know where they're at in terms of the goal? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's uh, so, you know, for us, the, the, we're, we're very data driven um, and we like real time data. And that's, you know, Aspire is 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 a, a tool that, that provides that very well. Um, and the way we monitor, we, we track what we call a daily run rate. Uh, so we're we're watching. 
um, really three three metrics that are most critical to us and everything's above the line when when we talk about gross margin dollars because overhead kind of just takes care of itself and profit takes care of itself if the other things fall in place and you got the right uh, the right volumes of work but we look at top line revenue that's that's an important I know a lot of times companies I think they you know their their cliche is let's focus on net net profit and there's no question net profit is extremely important and that's really what you want to focus on. But I have found in my, uh, my experience that if you focus on net profit uh, entirely, you, you lose focus of um, some other things that can really work to your advantage. And, and really the, the net profit is kind of like, I want to lose weight, but you're going to get on a scale every day. Well, getting on a scale doesn't make you lose weight. You got to do the things, set your diet plan, set your meal plan, document what you're doing, you don't really have to even get on scale because it's going to prove out based on the results you're putting, the, the work that you're putting in, uh, the results from the scale are going to prove out with time. And so we we tend to not watch that as much. We just fix our, our control cost each month. We know generally what they're going to be. We're looking at top line revenue to focus on every market. We've got a goal basically every day we're we're going out to shoot this goal every single day and then we're tracking down each day of the month we're tracking down how many days are left in the month to work what is our daily run rate has it has it gone up because we're being more efficient we're getting more work done has it gone down because some things that have hit us maybe some warranty calls that weren't being you know no revenue generation is it because we've got some sluggish work that's just you know lower revenue lower margin work but we're watching those things and modifying that every single day to what what does the end of the month look like? Uh, and then we watch uh, control costs as far as direct costs, labor and uh, and 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 products um, or hard materials that go into that. So we're watching those three metrics in our gross margin. That's that's primarily what we're watching on a daily basis. And we found that if we can drive that top line revenue and we keep our teams efficient and we're watching our material cost purchases. So we're, we're trying to do our best at buying down. You know, if we've got a hundred bucks in something and we can buy it for 10% under, let's buy it for 10% under. We just have to be careful that we're not going out here spending 20, 30% more on, on products that occasionally you do, you, you have to, you mess them up, but we watch those things. And then we just watch our labor cost. You know, are we, are we generating? And normally what we found is if we're generating the uh, gross margin dollars per day per team, um, you know, we're doing the right things and the net profits work out at the end of the month. Um, but, but Aspire allows us to do that every single day. Um, and, and it's real time, it's accurate. Uh, then one thing that we we've done over the last, uh, probably year, it's taken us a little while to get to this point, but we are closing out by the second day of the month. If, uh, uh, holiday falls or something like that, you know, it, it's going to vary, but it might be up to the fourth, but we really try to get it by the second work day of the month. We try to have the month closed. Um, and we found that 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 does a couple things. One, uh, it gets our information out to us faster, but we kind of already knew where we were going to end anyway. So it really doesn't, it doesn't do that as much. But what we found, the underlying thing that really happens is it causes you to be a better steward of your numbers as you go along the way, because the last day of the month is no different than the first day of the month. If you treat every day equal and you're doing the right things every single day, when you get the day number two of the, of the following month, it's easy to close the previous month because you've done everything right along the way. 
you're not having to go and, okay, we're going to start closing on the second and we're going to clean everything up. And by the 17th or the 20th, we're going to have financials out for the previous month because we spent two weeks here to clean it up. Whereas if we just keep it clean along the way, it's, you know, wind it down and, and turn it around. So it's, it's made us be, um, more intentional, more structured uh, from that perspective, which in turn gives us cleaner data sets. So when we are tracking it every day of the month, when we get to the end, we know we've got a good data set and we, we already know where we're going to be. I mean, we, I can tell you right now <laughs> for this month, how we're going to turn out within probably 1% of the net wow. and uh, probably within 50,000 of the revenue. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it works out well, but as fire allows us to do that. You've got a tight, smooth running machine over there, Lee. And I got to commend you on that because the second of the month is uh, that's got to be an aspire record, I think. And yeah. it's fantastic. What you said about keeping things going in terms of keeping it clean throughout the month. So, you know, every day you are getting good data out of the system. That is such good information for, for us to listen to. And to recap your guys' scoreboard, you're really looking at top line revenue. You know, you're growth minded. So obviously that is a huge part of it. Then you're looking at the cost of goods, right? Materials, labor, and direct expense going to those jobs. And then finally, of course, you're looking at gross profit and gross profit by team by day. So I love the scoreboard because you're breaking it out, not only into the key metrics, but you're breaking it out into a time frame that people can put their minds to and understand how did they do today? from when they woke up to when they clocked out, did they do good job? Did they do a good job? Do we hit the revenue targets and backing into your description of losing weight? It's the same thing. It's behaviors day in and day out. But if you just focus on the result nonstop, you probably won't hit it. But if you focus on the behaviors and the small things that get you there, then it's going to automatically come into play. Yeah. That's, that's the problem with net profit. When that, when that's being communicated around your company and we're open book, we're transparent with our people. We tell them, Mm -hmm making money if we're not making money but if your focus is on net and your in your conversations are around net uh, there's so much of that that they don't have control of the majority of your people don't have control of the overhead they don't have control of the rent they don't have control of the things the decisions that are made to run the business they have no control over the only thing they control is above that line and so why even really talk about those other things if they have no way to to adjust now there are things they can control that fall into that fuel purchases, um, you know, waste in that, that arena, damage to property, uh, you know, stolen equipment, lost equipment, you know, things that, that they can have some control on repairs and maintenance costs. Uh, we sure, we share with those and, you know, and they, they're able to see those and, and hopefully have a direct impact, but it's nets just seem to take care of themselves. If, if the other stuff's being, being cared for properly. One of the things that you mentioned as a controllable is material cost. And it's a conversation I have quite often with people is centralized purchasing or how are we managing our purchasing efforts? And you talked about saving about 10% and the, the impact that can have on your business when you're doing materials, um, material acquisition. So tell me a little bit about how you guys set up your purchasing at Thrive for a commercial, well, I should say a maintenance type business. We, we purchase different segments. We purchase in different formats. Uh, our maintenance arena, it's, you know, it's not very heavy in, um, in, in material costs. So there's, you know, there's mulch and pine straw right. and seasonal color and those things that go on certain segments of the year. And those are generally bought, you know, in bulk 
through through vendors where we're going in to say this is what our yearly needs are, yearly spend is, uh, what kind of pricing can we get? So we're able to navigate that more in a global fashion. Uh, we do some builder service work. So some of our home builders that are, you know, building three to 500 homes a year, we're working with some of those, those individual groups as well. And we we're testing two models right now. We, we, we've been using a model where we buy in bulk. So we'll buy product in bulk and then we'll allocate that through Aspire into, um, you know, the various lots or the various purchase orders that are provided, you know, for that particular work. It's very transactional work. So there's not, you know, it's not a lot of, there's not a lot of emotion in those, those type environments. And we're testing a model now. We've just implemented that we're going to go to a one PO per or one invoice per, uh, per purchase order. So meaning uh, irrigation install, we're going to go and we're going to buy just for this one lot. And we're going to, we're going to, you know, buy individually. We may come by six at one time, but we're going to put them on six separate invoices, pretty much equal. We don't know if that's going to work better or worse. We haven't had enough time to test it yet, but our, our theory is we're going to take that whole invoice and put it in as one item in Aspire because it takes a lot of time to navigate, to try to put, you know, the, the 27 items that go on that install on SKU. They really don't mean anything. Uh, it's really just what, what's the total estimate, what's the total spend. That's really all we need. So we're looking at taking that one invoice, rolling it. If you need the detail, you go to the invoice. Uh, but most of the time, we're just working on numbers and metrics that say cost was here, actual was here, the delta is this. We're within a within a tolerance margin. That's what we do. But that's the way we're handling that side on on purchasing now. Um, um, yeah. Lee, I think you mentioned one good thing there. A lot of good things, but the one big thing I took away is know what you're what you're spending per year on the big items. And that was a light bulb moment for me just now when you said we know how much we spend on mulch or what have you. So we go and negotiate at the beginning of the year or whenever you do. Hey, this is how much we spent last year. We're probably going to grow 30%. So we're going to spend this much. What type of pricing can we get? And I think from the most part, landscapers and other trade professionals handle purchasing on a job-to-job day-to-day basis rather than looking at a global scale, as you said. So that that's one thing I'm going to go do is I'm going to figure out how much we spent on bulk items and then try to pick a horse from a supplier standpoint that can deliver and hopefully carve maybe 10, 15% off that. I call it the easy button. It's like easy button. Okay. That button is the easy button to push. And, and usually the easy button costs you 10 or 15 points. You know, yeah. if you if you can go in and just say, I'm going to I'm not going to ever check price, not going to ever negotiate. You know, normally you're going to pay up. You're going to pay a premium to someone for that. And it's not to say that you're going to take away from someone to be a great partner to you because you can be a great partner, but yet still be very competitive on your pricing. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily those two can run in parallel. Uh, they don't have to be opposing where it's like, OK, if you're going to lower your pricing, that means you're going to be a terrible partner. Well, we do it every day, right? I mean, we have to be great partners. When you go in on a maintenance account, that's that's dirty spend money. They don't want to spend that yeah. money. They want to spend money building walls and building things you can see, not cutting your grass that's going to grow back next week. You know, they, they don't want to see that that spend. So it's not a very sexy spend, and it's pretty hard to get those dollars increased. And so when you go in and you're just looking at, oh, my labor costs have gone up, fuel costs are up, interest is up, all these things that it takes to run the business are higher. So therefore we're going to pass all of that on to you. Well, as a, if I'm on the other side of the table, I'm like, well, 
how about look at some of your efficiencies? How about look at some of the people and what they're doing and let's get, let's pick some, some of that up and then I'll help offset some of your cost increase as well. But that's what a true partner really is, is let's, let's see what we can do to maintain, you know, control some of these costs and curb some of that down so that we're not all in such an inflationary uh, environment that it's just like everywhere you turn, it's 10%, 15% up here and there. It's hard to pass that on. Yeah, that's a having that strong partnership is is critical for sure. Well, lots of great information today, Lee. As we um, start to wrap up today's episode, um, I think we prepared you for this. So we asked all of our guests to bring a trade secret, something that you can't, you know, find in a book. You can't watch a pod, listen to a podcast, watch a TV show, or anything like that, and see something that you've just learned organically over the time. And I know you've shared a lot of great nuggets with us already, but what would be a one secret that you want our listeners to learn from your time? Well, I, I think mine is uh, it's, I call it honor your deal. Um, and I, I take that across the board really in everything in life, uh, business, family, personal uh, It's just honor your deal. And if that deal is, if it gets better for you, that's great. You came in on the good side of it. If it gets worse for you, you made the deal. Uh, stick to the deal. It uh, doesn't mean that the deal can't adjust or change as you go down the road because there, there's times for that. You just have discussions. It's just the main thing is be transparent. But at the end of the day, you got to be willing to honor your deal. And if you're not, you're probably not going to have as much success as you could have uh, if you if you just stick to stick to what you promise. And at the end of the day, if things change and it's like, hey, it's not as good as what it once was or what I thought it was going to be, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to learn from it and I'll make a better decision on the next round uh, is much better than quitting or walking away from the deal or burning a bridge that then could hurt you down the road. So that's that's what you know, that's the one nugget that I don't think you learn in a book. I think it's in your it's in your heart. Well, it's, uh, it's who you are. Yeah. Well, I also think that leads to why you are so successful, because it's so true and you know, people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust and honoring your deal is one way to build that trust. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Well, you, you know, come from a small town and I think our country is getting smaller and smaller with the connection of social media. People can share information instantaneously through a Google review or what have you. So it was really important to honor your deal a long time ago. It's, it's even more important to honor your deal today. And yes. I think a, a lot of us think we can hide in this busy, big economy that we have, but this industry is small. And if you start getting off and your word's not your word, you're not going to have a very long career. So I think that's just really good, wholesome advice for everybody listening. Thank you, Lee. You bet. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right, man. Well, great talking with you today. I had a blast. I got a bunch of notes and stuff and <laughs> I'm going to go to work on my business now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I it's uh, if you're not in a learning environment, you're backing up. So it's uh, it's always the case. Yeah, thank you guys. All right, have a wonderful Take, day. You too. Take care. Bye.